In this episode, I want to share some of the conversations that happened in a recent live fireside chat that I held with the community. Did a little bit of Q&A. And as often happens, one of the community members is more of an entrepreneur than a traditional corporate career person. So we were talking about market positioning, how to find potential clients. So I thought that'd be rather interesting for you as solopreneurial business owners. Stay tuned. I'm Larry Cornette, and this is Invincible Solopreneurs. So if anyone, I know Josh uh, is familiar with this, but if you've been following me for a while, or if you've been a member of my career accelerator or the community or whatever, you know I talk about writing all the time. Uh, And I'm sure people get tired of hearing it, but the reason I talk about writing so much is it's incredibly beneficial. Uh, professionally as well as personally. There's a lot of uh, catharsis that you can experience through writing by documenting how you're feeling, what you're thinking. I recommend morning journaling. This is something um, Tim Ferriss talks about all the time. Um, Ryan Holiday talks about this. There's a lot of people who they do about 30 minutes of morning journaling before they open their email, before they touch their social media, before they look at the news and before your brain gets polluted with all the frightening, irritating, and aggravating issues of the day. It allows you just to be kind of free form and creative and, and get thoughts out of your head. Um, so I usually sit down with a cup of coffee and do it. So that's a good exercise just for capturing goals, capturing the way you're thinking about things, capturing ideas and being able to come back and flip through the pages later, uh, and see patterns. You start to see patterns. I've been journaling for years now and I'll flip back through my notebooks and I'll see patterns of things that I said, you know, I really should try this. I really should try this. And it's like, okay, I've mentioned that seven times. Maybe I should do that. And then there'll be things that you get excited about. You know, my ADHD brain gets excited about lots of new ideas and business ideas. I'm like, Oh, I should do X, Y, Z. And then I never talk about it again. And it's kind of an indicator for me. It's like, if I mention something and I'm all excited about it, but it never pops into my brain ever again in a different form, And it's like, okay, maybe it wasn't that great of an idea. But if it keeps coming up, it's a bit of a hint. If something keeps coming up, maybe it's a direction you should take your career. Maybe it's a direction you should take your life. Maybe it's something that you've been trying to express and you've been repressing because maybe it's not part of your daily job and you've been putting it aside over and over again. So that's one reason. The other is just blogging, writing articles online. It gets you noticed. It is a noisy world, as you know. So if any of you are looking for jobs, if any of you are business owners, and I know uh, Anna's a business owner, uh, Gretchen, business owner, it is hard to get noticed without doing a lot of marketing and advertising. And even when you do that, as you know, there's a lot of noise. Uh, Social media is incredibly noisy and the platforms are not very friendly to people that are trying to share their content and get noticed for a lot of reasons. They suppress your information if it's not popular, if you're not getting enough clicks, if you're not getting enough engagement, they just assume it's not enough quality and so they won't show it to that many people. They also do it because they want you to pay for advertising. There are people who are very popular. Uh, I can think of one account in particular that has two two to three million followers, huge. Um, And they notice a decline in their engagement over time. 
and they shared their stats. And they're like, what's going on? Come on. And this is on Instagram and Facebook. And it was like, quite clearly, you are pushing me into paying for advertising on your platform because you've been reducing my engagement, throttling my access to my audience and things like that. So you have to do a lot to get noticed. And I talk about writing because it is a way for you to share your point of view, your philosophy on things, your expertise. A lot of you are experts at your professions, your domain experts, but do people know that? If the people work with you directly, hopefully they do, right? If you're trying to get noticed by people outside of the company you work for, outside of your inner circle, which you should be, how many people really know you? It's That's the big question. And so if you are writing and consistently publishing, you know, about once a week, um, people will start to pay attention. They'll start to notice. And if there is a central theme to what you're talking about, then you are perceived as the expert on that and you will attract a following. And that is good because that is going to be good for your business. Obviously, if you're a business owner, it's going to be good for your career. If you are professionally trying to get attention, I know someone, this is, it's kind of funny. I wish he was on the call. Um, He's been writing and consistently sharing his point of view and kind of long form post on LinkedIn. And oddly enough, an executive at his own company who wasn't even aware of his existence met him and said, oh, you're the guy I've been reading your content on LinkedIn. I love your content. So this is somebody at his own company, an executive that didn't know who he was because he's several rungs down the ladder at work, but was following and appreciating his content on LinkedIn of all places. And that's a good thing. And so that can be good for his career within the company. It's going to be good for his career outside the company because what happens, and I've, I've seen this with people who are consistent about this, they get approached by recruiters. They get approached by hiring managers. They get approached to do talks on panels and to talk at conferences, to do keynotes, much, much more than other people. Why would somebody reach out to someone who's never published anything, not a single word, not a single article, and say, hey, would you do a keynote at our conference? Would you speak on this panel about this topic as an expert? You've done nothing to represent yourself as an expert on that topic. So why would they? So it's incredibly powerful. Um, uh, let's see. I talked about cross-publishing with the community. And so it's important to do this too. Josh heard this message. I think, oh, Anna, I've talked with you a lot about this. You don't have to take your content and publish it only in one place. It's good to have kind of your home base. Like where do you want the center to be? Where do you publish first? You know, and that could be Medium, it could be LinkedIn, it could be your own blog, it could be anywhere. I publish first on Substack, which is my newsletter. And so that's where most of the SEO love is going to uh, go for you. But you should also be cross-publishing because not all eyeballs are on the same platform. And again, not everybody sees your stuff. And I know this for a fact. People will share something or I'll share something and a fraction of your audience sees it. And so you have to really reshare things again and get that content out across multiple platforms. So you can have something you've written on medium and then you can publish it on LinkedIn as a LinkedIn native article, which they treat better than a link you share. You can put it on your own blog and eventually you could wrap all that stuff together and put it into a book. So I've been taking a lot of the content I've written for the past six years and I've been updating it, revising it, adding new material to create the book that I've been writing. 
uh, and I'm about 20 chapters in now at this point. It's helped hold me accountable by telling myself I have to release a chapter of the book every month. It forces me because I know people are waiting for it to get the work done, to get the the book written, which I've been trying to write. I've been trying to write a book for 20 plus years, you know, and it always goes on the back burner. So this has forced me to get the book written and writing a book as I, I put it in the newsletter today is the ultimate new business card. It's the ultimate way to stand out. When you write a book, you are immediately positioned as an expert for you know, better or worse. Maybe you're not, but you've seen this. People are experts on something as soon as they publish a book. And you start to attract a following, and then you start to get noticed a lot more than people who have not written books. And this is all about becoming probably less than the top 1% of people who create and put stuff into the world. Because it's not as hard as people think it is, but it is perceived to be hard, but it's also scary. I know people are scared to do this. You will attract people who love what you have to say. You'll attract people that hate what you have to say. (laughs) You're going to attract haters and trolls. It's the nature of the internet. And you have to learn to kind of deal with it and just live with it and ignore it for the most part. It's a little scary to put yourself out there. And that's why very few people do it. Most people are consumers. Most people read, they watch Netflix, they listen to music. They do not produce videos. They do not write books. They do not make music except for Josh. Josh actually makes music. He's a musician. So if you are a creator, you're already in the top probably 0.1% of the planet. You will get noticed. Your career will succeed as a result of being visible, being highly visible. Okay. Um, I'd love to take some questions or have a conversation. I can also talk about LinkedIn profiles. We have plenty of time to dive into that. Um, Anna, you wanted to talk about something, if I'm not mistaken, if you want to come off mute and exist in the Zoom. (laughs) Hey, it's Anna. (laughs) It's been a while. Yeah. So this is a different format from um, when I was last here so many months ago. (laughs) So I hope I'm not like... uh, destroying the flow of things. You're not, you're not at all. No. Um, so one of the things that I have been doing, um, is something called like productivity coaching, um, or, um, peak performance coaching where I basically help, uh, founders and CEOs better understand their team and how to optimize them, um, either to prevent burnout or to, like just get more productivity out of them um, or even just create like better understanding of like how their team members show up and think or um, motivate themselves. Right. Right. And um, I have about five successful case studies. Um, So the product does work and the transformation in the product is quite quick, which is really cool. Mm. What I want to do is take that, those those successes and replicate it into different industries or to basically find the right industry for me that would be most fruitful for my time and effort. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know um, I messaged you about maybe talking to construction owners who Mm -hmm. are having, cause you know um, I was talking to some guy in New York and he, he's like a more of a blue collar guy. And he made the suggestion where like upper management, you know, they have so many tough personalities that they end up conflicting to yeah. the point where construction companies have to 
be specific or conscious as to like who can work on what because yeah. X personality doesn't work with X personality and this and that. And he said, like, you know, if you could phrase it where I can help people who can't work together, work together, that is a huge pain point for construction companies. And they would get they would be very interested in that. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one angle. But I feel like maybe the construction companies would be too big of a giant because um, the small ones are like 750 people and 100 of those are like upper management. And I feel like that would be a lot of red tape in terms of dealing with uh, HR and stuff like that. Cause mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know like the best approach. Cause like the, the, the first five case studies that I got were more individual level. Like I think the biggest company I had worked with was a team of 15. And although I could, he was saying that the construction crews or like the upper management crews work in teams of 15. Um, it's still a big corporation, right? And dealing with right. HR and stuff mm. like that. So I'm trying to figure out like what would be a good industry that might be a better, like lower barrier to entry that I could get some case studies and then build up to perhaps a construction company like level where it's 750 people. Um, I'm in San Diego now and um, I was talking to my Airbnb host actually. And he says that, you know, VCs would probably benefit from something like this. Like, um, you know, if I go up and ask them, like, how do you vet people in the hiring process or when you're about to work with a company, how do you vet them to know that they're good people or they're going to be reliable other than perhaps your gut instinct? And right, right. Larry, I know you've worked with VCs in the past. Do you have mm -hmm. any experience with like how they actually end up vetting their co-founders or even the team that works for them? Like, is there a, a real like structured systematized vetting process? Um, that goes beyond, you know, gut feeling. Yeah. So the people tend to choose co-founders that are people they know. It's very rare that they do the co-founder dating, although there are services that do that. So that is one interesting angle. Um, I'll have to see if they still exist. So there were some platforms that have sprung up uh, over the last 15 years or so that are really about matching co-founders. And there's a few... I know that still exists. So we should look, we should talk after this. I'll see if I can share some links with you. So what they're trying to do is match people based on more than anything, kind of skill set and background and what they think the the startup needs. So if it's going to be an AI startup, they want somebody who has, you know, a machine learning experience, for example. Uh, if it's going to be a SaaS startup, they want somebody who's worked at a place like Oracle or or whatever, Salesforce. So they do a little bit of that. What I don't think they're doing, which is even more important. <laughs> is matching people who are going to be harmonious and be able to work together because just because you have the right skill set doesn't mean you're going to work together yeah so that's i think that. i think that's the unique proposition that i can offer yeah. um and like right now i'm calling myself a productivity coach but i've been talking to people about it like in person and it's just not resonating they don't really it's still not it doesn't really make sense and then um I, as i was sitting down with my airbnb host just now he was like what you do is seems like it's productivity coach does not encompass what it is that you actually do. Like that doesn't, right. yeah, it's, it's not, not what you're describing right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, maybe like a people assessment co consultant or I don't know, like what would be like a quote unquote sexy name for something like this, where people right off the bat could understand what it is. And, 
you know, cause like if I come in and say, I'm a content marketer or I'm a programmer, everybody kind of just understands what that is. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I thought maybe if I came in and said, I'm a productivity coach, like people would understand what that is, but it seems like that's not quite hitting or resonating. So I'm trying right, to figure out right. what would be a good, I mean, the name and the angle is not yeah. as necessary. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the title is not as necessary. It would be helpful. But um, I think what would be most important for this conversation is like understanding what would be a good angle for me to target so that I can mm-hmm. just maybe like go deep dive on like this three months with this target industry and see where it yeah. goes, you yeah. know. Um, I'm wondering yeah. if I were to target like these VCs and say, hey, I do like interpersonal conflict or people assessments. Like what kind of maybe pushback would I get from something mm. like this other than like, I don't know who you are, but. Well, it's interesting because I think sometimes it's better to have more of a discovery as you were just kind of describing a discovery process to learn what they think the way they talk about their problem. Cause this is the problem that I think a lot of us run into. Um, and this is applicable for business owners, but it's also applicable for people in their careers. Right. It's like you're speaking about yourself in one way and mm-hmm. you're giving yourself a specific job title, but the employer describes it a different way. And so they, th- they don't think there's a match, even if there is. Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting, and I tell people to do this all the time, even when they're crafting resumes and job applications and all that kind of stuff is like, look at the language of the job description, look at the yeah. language of how they talk about it. And you could see that and go, well, what they really need is X, Y, Z, but they're talking about ABC. It's like, well, you got to sell them ABC because that's what they think they need. Mm -hmm. Later, when you make the connection, you can show them, well, this is actually what you need. This is the process we should go through. Mm -hmm. I think a really healthy activity would be to have some kind of discovery conversations with founders, with some VCs, partners, and things like that to talk about these pain points around team. Because mm-hmm. what I hear, what I think you're t- describing is almost like team construction, hiring, and mapping talent into these organizations, and because it's so critical. With a startup, it's much more critical than it is with a larger company. With a yes. larger company, one bad employee out of five thousand, it's not going to take the company down. With a startup of five people, one bad em- founder, one bad employee will destroy the startup. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I think it is these early stage startups and these incubators, the venture capital firms, the angel investors that are helping the team, one, figure out, is there a good chemistry and dynamic between the founders? Is the founding team healthy? So this is that company I'm talking with in Canada that does these assessments. What they're trying to do is something very similar, which is here are these off the shelf assessments you could apply to see if your team's healthy. Or do you have a team that's actually going to be full of conflict because of their personalities and the way they think and the way they work? So that's one thing would be say, you know, founder conflict destroys startups. Would you like Mm -hmm. a way to assess, is there going to be founder conflict and how do we fix it? How do we address it? You know, what's the process by which we can make these founders healthier and work together better? Then how do we carefully develop the team and add more talent? So how do you construct these teams? What are you looking for? What would be a good balance? Because the other problem I think sometimes startups have is they hire more of themselves. Mm. And that's not always the healthiest, most robust team. So two Stanford MBAs hire another Stanford MBA. And before you know, it's a whole bunch of Stanford MBAs. And that's not a balanced, you know, heterogeneous company. It's going to be a company that fails in the long run because it's they're all too homogenous. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that too. So I think it, there's one guy I think I should introduce you to. His name's Marvin Liao. He was on my podcast uh, last year. So he's been in, in the the venture industry. He was at 500 startups. Uh, he's an angel investor. He's still doing a ton of this kind of stuff. Very nice guy. Very approachable. He's been doing this stuff forever. Uh, he's got like a 20 plus year career. I think he'd be good to talk with to say, I'm in this space of understanding founder chemistry, helping founder harmony and helping them build out their teams by hiring the right talent. So they're basically their startup doesn't implode. You know, who should I talk to? How do they think about this? What is their Mm -hmm. biggest pain point? How would I position myself to be a solution for them? I think he'd be totally open to this. And I think he could also introduce you to a ton of startups. Oh, that would be fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know, I know I, I have proof. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like mm-hmm. this is a theoretical product. I do have proof, which is good. Um, yeah. It's, you know, so I, I, I do feel confident in the ability to, to perform. Um, and I do feel confident that, like, I can create team structure harmony or redu- drastically yeah. reduce yeah. conflict because I have a case study that literally the two founders told me exactly that, right? Okay, um, that's good. They came yeah. together and they didn't know they 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 knew of each other from years of like kind of being in the space, but they decided to build a company together. But um, they did it remotely. One's in California, the other one's in ta- um, in Florida, and so mm-hmm. um, just by me working with them virtually, they were able to create like a one point two million dollar company in the first year, right? Just by That's and good. one okay. of the co-founders was like, "Hey, that would have." That would have been a much more stressful for me because I would have hired the wrong people and yeah. um, we wouldn't have been able to reach that within three months of starting the company without That's your right. help. Yeah. We wouldn't have been That's able good. to do that. That's good. And I yeah, have that I on think, video, you know? Okay. So you, I was going to say video testimonials are powerful. Yeah. Um, getting and even, the words and the words written in their language, like how did they talk about the problem and the mm-hmm. solution? Because that will resonate with other business owners and founders that they're speaking the same language. Like, oh, yeah, we feel that pain, too. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be good, too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I would love that intro with that guy and okay. um, basically recap, you know, um, what it is I could do. And even, yeah, int- introductions to startups would be fabulous, too. Okay. Um, okay. And I'm wondering, like, should I just target like startup owners right away, or would it be better to kind of do like more that backdoor approach where I talk to the VCs right away, or maybe I should talk to your friend first and then kind of make the assessment? I would talk, yeah, because I think he would know the right way to work your way into the system. Mm-hmm. I'd love coming in through the hub and spoke model, as you know, which is if you can come in through the VCs, the partners, the angel investors. Because that's one person you connect with that now is connected to 150 startups, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if they give you the seal of approval and they're like, this is our expert who helps you build healthy teams, they push you on all of their portfolio. Mm-hmm. So their portfolio is kind of forced to work with you because they're like, hey, I don't want this to fail. This is my mm-hmm. investment portfolio. They're going to help you build the right team. It's going to make you more successful, which is going to make me rich. Yay. They're mm-hmm. going to be the ones that are pushing for it. And so you don't have to go and sell to 150 people. You sell to one person who then tells the founders, you're going to work with this person, mm-hmm. which I know that happens. They they definitely hire people that coach founders on their presence. They're like their executive presence, public speaking. They did that with Mark Zuckerberg because they're like, dude, you've really got to fix this. 
if you're going to stay as the head of this company, you've got to get better at public speaking. And so they coached the heck out of him. Um, and that he didn't really have a choice when the board's mm-hmm. like, you're going to get better at this. Here's who you're going to work with. Mm-hmm. It gets done. Yeah. If I could become a go-to consultant on a certain, like certain amount of incubators, then, you know, that's that'd be right. great. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Um, you yeah. I look forward to that mm-hmm. intro. Thank you. So I hope you found that conversation helpful. And uh, if you ever want to attend one of my live fireside chats with Q&A, feel free to, to sign up and join. It's open to everyone. And we often talk about business-focused things and entrepreneurial things because many career-minded people flow in and out of corporate jobs and self-employment. A lot of my friends do. I did. So we do uh, tend to dive into conversations that are not just around getting a job or getting promoted, but often around how to start a new business. So stay tuned for those and sign up whenever you see them. Until next time, I wish you the best of luck with building the business of your dreams.